Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Association Leadership Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Association Leadership Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today on the show, we have Bill Shankel with NAFA Fleet Management Association. Welcome, Bill. Thank you. It's good. great to be here, Lee. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us a little bit about NAFA. How are you serving folks? Sure. So NAFA Fleet Management Association, we, we represent uh, three, uh, just around 3,000 fleet management professionals, um, automotive professionals. So those are everybody from our um, individuals in the government fleets. So groups like uh, your public safety fleets from law enforcement to uh, emergency medical to fire um, to the corporate fleets from your delivery services as, as Amazon and, and UPS to basic sales fleets of pharmaceutical groups, as well as educational fleets from uh, both higher ed and universities to the uh, public schools and and uh, private schools that all of our um, children go to. So we have a, a broad range of types of fleets and, and individuals we represent. So what's your backstory? How did you get involved in association work? So I've been in the association space for about uh, 23 years now. And um, it's uh, basically it was by accident. Uh, I applied for a job um, early on at the National Kitchen and Bath Association uh, marketing job and really didn't understand what associations were at the time going into that and um, and then got into the business and really loved the uh, the opportunity to to not only learn an industry, but really get to know um, the leaders in those industries. So I've been in multiple associations now throughout the years. And one of my favorite things just is really getting to see, you know, all the types of people that, that get involved in these associations, the passions that they have and, and learn a lot about leadership from, from various volunteer leaders that I worked with over the years. And it's really been a, a great opportunity, great experience for me. Now has, uh, working through the pandemic had any, uh, challenges for you in your work that you hadn't really encountered prior to the pandemic happening? Like, is there some things that you were like, wow, I don't know if we're going to be able to get through this? There definitely were. I'm sure we are like many other organizations. So we had um, some big challenges, obviously. Uh, we So I was actually uh, in the interim CEO role at NAFA at the time. So I wasn't even um, fully a CEO yet. Uh, but we had to face the, the cancellation of our in-person conference and trade show, which represented represents about 50% of our revenue. So it was definitely something I've never experienced before, um, being new in, in a leadership role within an organization and then also having um, to face something as, as drastic as that where you had to potentially lose 50% of your revenue. Um, we've had great support from our board and our volunteer leader through all that. And um, what I found is, you know, we, we just kind of worked our way through it, made decisions based off the data we had at the time. Um, we actually did not cancel our event right away. We actually moved it and then had to move it again um, and got lucky. We were able to hold it last year at the end of the summer, um, 18 months after that first time. But, but it, was, it was really a, a, a challenge in communications as well, communicating back to members. Um, making everybody feel safe and comfortable that NAFA would be there for them after the pandemic was over, whenever that was going to be, um, and and really get through. Um, and we learned a lot of different ways to deliver value that we never did before. So it was a great opportunity, particularly as a new leader coming in, to, to try a lot of things and, and build a, somewhat of a change management culture 
um, because we were we were forced to to change, and that that was I think the positive experience of that, even though it was a very challenging time. Now, when you are dealing with that type of chaos, um, it, it can be an opportunity, like you said, to to make changes where there's maybe less uh, pushback because these are such trying times. Is there any kind of lessons you learned that you'll be able to use moving forward regarding that when it comes to that type of change? I definitely will. I, I think, you know, one of the, the big things that we, that really we did during the, it, we became very data centric during this whole process. So as we started to have to look at resources and understand, you know, every resource needed to have some type of impact, whether it be, you know, member value, how members rated and engaged with the resource um, financial. So what's the revenue we brought in from that, or also from a, an efficiency point of view, what, what does this program take from a staff resource and or from an expense side for us to deliver? So um, as we went through the change and, and as we, you know, we were forced to look at some of these things, that was the way we made the judgment of what, what are the programs we can stop doing? What are the programs we need to do more of? Um, so that getting that mindset in when we had to in the midst of the chaos, as you mentioned, um, it's really something we carried forward now. And now as we look at programs, it's not just an automatic assumption that, Yes, we should keep doing that. We now look at that, you know, a, a few key metrics and say, oh, are members engaging with this? Is this something we need from a revenue resource? And, and is this something that is, you know, the way we do it is is not really efficient or we're, we're taking way too many resources to deliver on that for the the ROI we're getting back? So those are some of the lessons that I've learned in this process that we we carried forward even as the pandemic comes to a close here. Now, when you are kind of leaning into data like you are, Sometimes that brings about uh, where you, some change that you're forced to make with some legacy programs that might have constituents that enjoy that status quo and are hesitant to move forward from that. How, how do you kind of thread that needle to keep your team engaged with programs uh, that might have kind of run its course where that it, maybe it is time for a change and to look at things with fresh eyes, especially when you have data to back it up. Right. It's definitely, it's a, definitely a challenge. And, and as you said, there's people that are passionate about programs that as, as you start finding the data and looking at the, um, the engagement and the involvement, knowing that they're, they're legacy programs, but they've, you know, as you, they, they've, played out or they've <laughs> they've have dwindling uh, value in in today's world and how things are happening um, so it's you know it's really trying to get some of those really passionate people to to look at the data understand the data understand the reason for change uh, and and I've been trying to engage them to be part of the solution saying you know we're not we're not trying to throw out the history of this let's take the the best parts of some of these legacy programs and say is there another way? we can package them or, or the benefits that you're getting from some of these legacy, legacy programs. Are there other ways we can do that? And we're, we're going through that process right now with several different legacy programs that started throughout the pandemic that now are going to, you know, over the course of 2022 and 2023 are going to really change. And we're going to phase out some, some longstanding programs just based off that data and, and that internal look we did. Um, but we tried to engage as many of those, what I'll say are the, the passionate people that, that had a strong support um, for those programs and keep them in the process and become part of that process to help us uh, navigate that change. And in some cases, it you know, it doesn't work out. You can't say it's always successful. Sometimes the people just, you know, they just don't see the, see the, the data as that 
uh, crucial and that, you know, and that's fine. And that's been another thing we've learned is that we, in, in the process of change, we can't please everyone. So in some cases, you know, we, we do have to understand where you have to go for the greater good and they are going to have to lose some people in the change process. But for the most part, it's been very, people have been very supportive and, and want to be part of the solution. Now, when you take on a challenge of um, leading an, an organization and being new to it, and how do you kind of keep the culture while respecting the past, but also kind of making the change necessarily in, in t- that you need to do into the future? That That's a, a tricky needle to thread. Um, and especially now, I think it's even more challenging as more and more organizations are going to either a hybrid or a remote staff where there's not even that face-to-face camaraderie where we can all kind of feel like we're on this team together. Now, everybody could be spread out. So how have you been able to kind of manage the culture? Sure. We did change. We, um, we actually did go from an in-person, completely in-person staff to now we are completely virtual. We actually um, moved out of our, our lease. So we actually are completely um, virtual through that whole process. I mean, we did have a, a lot of really open and frank conversations with staff um, via, I mean, we, we met a lot via, you know, virtual meetings, um, but really it's, it's really around communication. And I said those exact words you started to questions with is that, you know, we want to honor the history. Um, there's no blame or judgment in the fact that things have to change. It, it's more circumstances that are causing changes um, that we need to move past some of the historical uh, ways of doing things, some of the historical procedures and policies and processes we had in place. We just need to move past that because of, other factors. Um, so it was no blame. So that was one key thing is to make sure we get, especially some of the longstanding uh, employees and members of the board and volunteer leaders <clears throat> to make, to make it clear that this change was not a, a, a indictment on anything that anybody did in the past, but it's really a need to move forward. And essentially what we do is just really communicate out again with that focusing on the end goal and, and try to get as much uh, input and involvement from the staff as we can. We've created some, interdepartmental teams with our, our staff because we do have a, a, a fully virtual staff. So we want to make sure that because, you know, our marketing team may meet on a weekly basis virtually, they don't know we've talked with our education team or our membership team. So we created a few inter, interdepartmental teams to ensure there's representatives on all those teams getting together and talking once a week or once every two weeks, just to get a sense of what's happening, what are the projects doing. And then we do a, a full all staff meeting every week virtually with a, you know, a full agenda, letting people put any items on that agenda they want so they can ask any questions. And that's really been helpful in building the culture out. Yeah. I think that as we move to a more remote uh, virtual world that you have to be more intentional when it comes to communication and you have to kind of schedule these things like things that you take for granted in person where like you bump into people or I'll see them at some point during the day you know, virtually that's not going to happen unless you put it in a calendar <laughs> schedule. Right. That's definitely what we found. And and the messaging, getting our staff to start utilizing, you know, messaging, the messaging tools such as, you know, a, a Microsoft Teams or, and there's multiple ones out there to ensure that those hallway conversations 
can still happen, but just, you know, ping somebody on their laptop and, and chat them up that way. Um, so we, that's been a little bit of a change because people at first didn't think of it that way. And, you know, it, we didn't want them necessarily sending emails back and forth as their communication method because there's other more effective ways. So now we have, we, we've built that into our culture too, where people are much more comfortable in, in messaging each other through some of the instant messaging opportunities out there. And, and that's been helpful as well to kind of build back in some of those hallway conversations that that won't happen now that we're virtual. Now, has there been anything that's occurred where you're like, okay, these are some breadcrumbs that we are, we're on the right track here that I feel pretty good about this change that's occurring? We actually, we do. We've, uh, so as we started changing and, you know, we've, we've been putting out more calls for volunteers as staff, we've been doing some, what I'll call it, not listening tours because we haven't been traveling, but we've been calling members or talking to members in more of a, a town hall, town hall format. And uh, I think the, the biggest thing we're seeing is that the change is positive is we're getting a lot of new members engaged that weren't in the past. So every, I think like most associations, you have your core of longtime volunteers, the stalwarts in the, in the profession, in the industry that everybody will recognize those names. But now we're starting to see some of the new people within our, our membership base that, you know, people say, I never, I never knew that person or I didn't, I don't recognize, recognize that name. And we're getting more and more of those. And now when we put out those call for volunteers, where in the past it was a very similar roster of, of people that would volunteer, we're getting much larger number of people. So that, in my mind, you know, makes me feel good that more people see the, see the vision, see the change we're making and want to get involved and want to be part of this process. So I think that's one that, that I feel really good about. Yeah, I think that that's one of those unintended consequences of kind of people getting more comfortable with virtual I think a lot of folks are saying, you know what, because things are virtual, I'm going to have to be more proactive and get more involved in my association. I'm going to have to be the the change I want to see in the world. And, and people, I think, are stepping up. They definitely are. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, that, that may have been, to your point, it may have been more hesitant in the past because, well, I can't travel to an event or I, I don't have a travel budget to get there. Or I can't go to these other meetings. Now that they see the meetings, or more and more likely to take part, at least a majority of them on a virtual session. They're like, oh, I, I can now join in. And we've also been cognizant of that people have less time now in today's world, even though we were all home for two years. <laughs> it seems like people have less time to do things. So we've even tried to, to right-size a lot of our meetings and volunteer opportunities as well to say, we're not going to put you, if you volunteer, we're not going to put you on an eight-hour Zoom call. We're going to set up these meetings so, you know, it's it's 20 minutes every other week and we're going to have you talk and we're going to do things through a collaboration site where you're not going to have to sit and meet at a, a specific time, but we'll ask the questions and you can give your input that way. So we've created new ways for them to get involved too, which aren't a big time commitment, which I think they seem to like. Yeah, I think uh, flexibility and time especially is a key component of today's working world. I mean, people are demanding it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and we understand that it's it's extremely important for us to to make sure that we we make it as easy as possible. If somebody's willing to give us their insights and and help us to leverage their professional experience and their thoughts, we want to make it as simple as possible for them to get involved with us and and get the more voices, the better it is for us as an association. Now, do you have any advice for the leaders out there on how to engage your members and how to kind of keep pushing the value line for uh, members? 
I think the the biggest things that we've heard is is you know some of the things we spoke about is, is look at the data. Don't just assume that because you've been doing a program for a long time, you are getting a lot of uh, of value out of it. You know, really look at the data and set some real clear metrics. Um, I think all of the, all of our members that are part of whatever industry associations are in their everyday job, they have clear metric that they're working towards for the most part. And so from my point of view is when we had to start implementing change and, and pushing some things that people may have felt uncomfortable with, when we started going back to the data, so here's why we're doing that and could show real tangible data points, whether they're financial or engagement or um, resource driven, whatever they may be, it was a lot easier to tell that story and people could relate that more to their everyday job. <laughs> so um, why I know a lot of times associations tend to, to focus on the, the emotion and the connectivity of, of being part of an association. When we start putting more of that the data-driven content out and the reason of why we're doing this, um, it seemed to, to help members get more engaged because, one, it gave them a clear understanding and a clear target of where we were going. Um, but it also gave them a, a, a clearer picture as to why this wasn't an emotional or a philosophical change. It's more of a a necessity or an opportunity change. So now what are the kind of the metrics that matter for you and your, and your team? Like what are the things that get you high-fiving the team at the end of the week or the quarter? So as, as most, I mean, we're, we're obviously membership growth is important to us. Membership growth and retention is, is key for us. Um, we, um, during the, the pandemic, we did take a, a, a decent sized membership hip because um, a lot of our particularly government fleet managers that had budget cuts needed to, to drop. So we, you know, we're focusing on building back up that member base. Um, that's definitely a key for us. Uh, we're also, we've also launched quite a few new um, educational opportunities. So we've set some metrics to see, you know, how many people we can engage both members and non-members on some of the uh, educational opportunities, which are online seminars and and starting to do some in-person conferences. Um, so seeing how many people we can get engaged in those, because those are some of the newer programs that we've just launched. So those are really ones we high five about because as we launch new things, did we hit the marks on the metrics and did we get the right people there? Did we get the amount of people there? It's really important to us because that's when we really see that that change is making a difference and and people are, liking the vision that we set set out a few years ago and they're they're getting involved. So what's the most rewarding part of the job for you? I think from my perspective it's it's really uh, the collaboration of getting all these groups together. I mean it's while it's been the most challenging time I've ever had in my career the last few years some of the proudest times I've had is when groups came together of, of both staff and volunteer leaders and suppliers to really put their heads together and, and all dig in and do work towards that common goal of how do we, how do we move the organization together to the point of early on, it was how do we save the organization from not, not going under with this financial hit, but just to the, the, the amount of passion, but then also the amount of level-headedness from the, uh, from everybody involved um, and understanding of, of what's on the line here and, and what our ultimate vision is, what we do for, for our members, why that's important and how do we need to move forward. That's one of the, 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 I guess my favorite part of what happened over the last year is it forced that collaboration with people I may not have had the opportunity to work with um, to that degree, but just to see their passion and for them to come in and their willingness to work with us and, and help us was, was just really great. 
Now, is there a trend in the industry that you're most excited about? So we we are very yeah we're very excited um, because obviously um, if you you know watching the news and everything that you know we are on the the what I'll say is the front lines for several things that you hear a lot about now so um, supply chain issues the electric vehicles changes um, some of the mobility and um, vehicle to vehicle communications which is going to create a, a much more safer roadway and and some of the um, the alternative fuel opportunities that are coming down the road. Um, we are, we're on the front line of those, both from a legislative side, as well as um, from our members having to actually implement those changes. So um, it's been great because our members, you know, see the values of, of both sides and, and um, from, of everything that needs to happen and laying out really a realistic plan for, you know, how, how can our members help reshape what the infrastructure looks like in a reasonable time, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't overpromise, um, but but sets the expectations out there, and and what we what organizations can do to to lay some of those things into their um, business practices. So that's been for me um, the electric vehicles, the alternative fuel, and then also how we can assist in the um, in some of the supply chain issues that are happening has been really the the things that I'm really get excited about every day to see what our members are doing and, and how NAFA can help lead the way in some of those uh, initiatives. Yeah. Strong organizations and associations like yours are the key to really uh, make the biggest impact. I think in the industry, I mean, it's important for folks to get involved with their association and really share those best practices and collaborate and just everybody wins. That's really what we've found. And, and obviously we've done a lot from a legislative side, um, in the uh, recently in some of the infrastructure discussions that have happened over the last few years. So we've had a lot of input and impact um, to the point where we've had, you know, uh, some of our members um, writing letters or um, actually doing, you know, providing some testimony um, to elected officials in both state and the federal level. Um, because, you know, we realize obviously things are changing and, and, um, and we can we can be on the front line to help ensure that this is a you know a positive change for everybody and, and also something that that we can actually implement. So it's not it's we are you know our members are the real world examples <laughs> of what a lot of the legislation you're hearing about is going to impact, and they're the ones that have to implement those changes. Um, so it's been it's been really a fascinating time for us. Well, if somebody wants to contact you um, or get a hold of the or learn more about the organization, can you share the website? Sure. Actually, they can go to www.nafa.org and uh, all of our staff information's there. Uh, they can contact me. I'm happy to take any emails or talk to anybody um, we have and, and definitely check out our website. And, and like I said, I'm happy to provide any advice I can from the little bit I learned over the last few years. Well, Bill, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it, Lee. All right, this is Lee Cantor. We will see you all next time on Association Leadership Radio.